All right, back on the Young Turks, uh, time for the conversation. Uh, we're gonna have two great guests for you guys today. First one is Sarah Kleiner, so let's do that right now. Sarah Kleiner is joining me, she's a federal politics reporter from Center for Public Integrity. Sarah, welcome to the program. Hi Jake, how are you? Good, good, it's good, good to see you again. Um, Thank you. So today we're gonna talk about John Hickensnoozer, or is it Frackenlooper? Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, you can already get a sense of uh, what I think of Hickenlooper. Uh, and I, I, when I quote unquote beat up on guys like Hickenlooper, it's not really about them. It's about the mainstream media reaction to them. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I can't wait to tell you what the Washington Post said about him. That's a little bit later. But uh, Sarah, since no one in the country knows who Hickenlooper is, can you tell us who he is? Sure. So. John Hickenlooper was born outside Philadelphia. Uh, he was raised, uh, his mother raised four children by herself when his father passed away um, when he was a young boy. He eventually got his degree in geology and moved out to Colorado, got in the oil and gas business in the early 1980s, and then was laid off in the mid-1980s. And at that point, he decided to start a brewery in a part of Denver that was run down, kind of dilapidated, and uh, if Wincoop Brewery took off, um, he and his business partners ended up expanding, and they eventually had 15 breweries and restaurants around the Midwest. And then, uh, then he got involved in politics, and he ran for mayor of Denver and won. Um, when he ran for re-election, he got 87% of the vote. He was highly popular. Um, he... Uh, and, when he was mayor, he brought in, uh, he was kind of instrumental in bringing in the Democratic National Convention in 2008 um, with Barack Obama. Um, I was actually there and I was covering the convention, so I remember John Hickenlooper from back then uh, hosting uh, various events around town that week. Um, and eventually, uh, people suggested that he run for governor. And um, he ran uh, as a Democrat and got elected. Uh, uh, then he got reelected in, uh, in 2015. So he ran out of time. His he reached his term limit in 2019. So now he's decided that he's going to join the crowded field of Democrats uh, running for the nomination. Um, I, I don't know if you're allowed to give opinions uh, in your role, Sarah. But uh, do you think his chances of winning are one percent or zero percent? <laughs> he's definitely starting off. Uh, he definitely has a long way to go in terms of name recognition, raising money. Um, he has an uphill battle to climb, and he acknowledges that. Um, some analysts have said, well, he's done this before, and he's been successful. He started off with nothing, and he's been able to make a name for himself, in part because of his quirky personality and his uh his ads, he's got, he's had some viral ads. I uh, think once he took a shower in a suit when he was trying to say that he was done with uh, dirty politics, he wasn't going to play dirty politics. And uh, so, yeah, he's, he's been able to make a name for himself in the past and stand apart. Um, his politics are uh, interesting, also really making him stand apart from the pack at this point. And so it kind of remains to be seen. What's going to happen with the base? Um, or is the base going to be willing to support um, Hickenlooper as a, 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 and he's a self uh, proclaimed moderate? Yeah. 
Uh, I, well, I have a definitive answer for that. No, the base is not going to support him. So, uh, and uh, I, I want the audience to know this. This is interesting. So, uh, Higginlooper, uh, if he was like, you know, a fairly progressive uh, mayor of Denver, and he's a, you know, in essence, a self-made guy, and he had the uh, breweries. That all sounds great. So, what's wrong with Higginlooper? Um, well, uh, when he was governor of Colorado, he was such a big proponent of fracking that he threatened to sue any uh, local area in Colorado, uh, city, municipality, or town that tried to ban fracking. He said, you know, I, I will come after you guys with the full force of the law. You must have fracking. Um, now, Sarah, I, is that, one, I'm not interested in that policy. I think it's terrible. Uh, and I don't know any progressive who's like, oh, he's vigilantly pro-fracking. That's so great, right? Literally zero people think that among real voters. Um, uh, but my question uh, is, do you think that he did that policy because he worked in the oil and gas industry? He wanted to, in his mind, improve the economy or get money from the fossil fuel industry? Or what's your sense? Sure. I mean, I can't really get into his mind, but I, I think any of those is plausible. Um, at the time when he was governor, he was uh, dealing with a split, uh, split uh, government. So basically, the Republicans controlled the, the state house, and uh, he was a Democrat. So he was trying to work with them and try to come up with policies that he could get passed. Now, uh, a lot of environmentalists would say he was entirely too soft, especially when it came to fracking. And that sort of thing. And that's something that's going to be a hurdle for him to overcome uh, on the progressive side. Yeah, and look, it's one thing to say, hey, this is a situation I find myself in. And look, it does create some jobs and I got to work with Republicans. It's another thing to enthusiastically threaten to sue any city or town that would ban fracking. So it's going to be hard to walk out of that one. Uh, the second problem is they say like his main uh, calling card is that uh, I don't know what it is. He stands up to bullies and he says, quote, standing tall when it matters is one of the things that really drives me. Sarah, I don't know what that means. So what? Like, okay, we, I mean, what, do others can't stand up to bullies? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. it's not policy, it's not anything. It seems to be just fluff. He is trying, I think, to set himself apart uh, from everyone else. And I think he's trying to sort of play up this, um, this uh, taking on Trump, uh, taking on Trump, and and he's viewed as a bully. Um, Pick and Looper was talking up his Coke bottle glasses when he was uh, a young man, and his sort of nerdy demeanor. Um, he talked about how he's he's been picked on, and he knows how to stand up to bullies. So uh, he's trying his best to. I think tap into some of the frustration that maybe people have over Trump and his uh, his aggression um, and and some of the things that he says that are uh, seen as bullying. Yeah, yeah, Hick and Snoozer 101. Listen, 200 million people are ready to stand up uh, to Donald Trump and probably more. It's not a policy position. It's not any position. It's nothing. It's absolute. Air, nothing. Okay, I mean, he, has, he doesn't even have any evidence that he would stand up to Trump more than anyone else would. Like Bernie Sanders constantly 
saying that Trump is an idiot and a sociopath, etc. I mean, those are tough words against Donald Trump, and he's not worried about what Donald Trump's going to call him. And Hickensnoozer's answer to that is, oh yeah, I had Coke bottle glasses well. Okay, anyways, all right, let's move on to the, the last part. Um, so he's so corny, he has a giddy up pack. Anyway, uh, so the Washington establishment, of course, loves him. Uh, it's the only reason why anybody's having a conversation about him, because uh, he polls at 0% where he will remain the rest of the, uh, the time. Uh, so Jennifer Rubin, who despises uh, Bernie Sanders with a white hot passion, uh, wrote that she likes Hickenlooper's bridge building tendencies and his aw shucks demeanor and that he has spent his entire public career trying to lead from the center. Okay, now Jennifer Rubin is a conservative. So building bridges to conservatives, of course she's in favor of that, right? Because it builds the bridge right into her trap. And they, they told us Obama left from behind was terrible and now they're celebrating leading from the center. Like, I, I mean, this is an unanswerable question. But does Washington have any idea how clueless they are and how out of touch they are with the rest of the country? <laughs> I think I think they're going to soon find out as we get closer and as the field uh, probably gets a little bit bigger and then it'll get up, uh, smaller again. I but yeah, I, I think that um, it's uh, it's interesting that that you point out that the only reason that this conversation is being had is because uh, people in Washington are. Um, are interested in Hick and Looper. And yeah, so uh, the columnist for the Washington Post did say that that uh, she called Hick and Looper the anti Trump. Oh, only in that he's intensely uninteresting. Uh, <laughs> and guys, I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't know John Hick and Looper from a hole in the ground uh, that was created by fracking. Um, <laughs> so it's not like I got any personal beef with him. I'm sure I'd have a brewski with him and we'd have a great time personally. But uh, well, I'm not positive we'd have a great time, but, <laughs> but, but I'm sure he's a decent enough guy. But we're, this is silly and, and, and it's aided and abetted by the mainstream media that takes these guys seriously. Okay, last thing, Sarah, do you have any idea where the money for, uh, for Giddy Up Pack came from? I can't imagine that there was a lot of small donors, but maybe there was, so that's why I'm asking. He's had a couple of uh, major donors, some gay rights activists in Colorado, um, some uh, foundation uh, uh, supporters in Colorado have supported him. Um, he's saying that he's not accepting any corporate PAC money, which that's uh, par for the course in this race on the Democratic side. So that's good. And I, I don't want, you know, I'm kind of kidding around, but I want everybody to have a full context here, guys. He's not a bad. He's not an all bad guy, you know. And not taking corporate PAC money, he probably can't get too much. But still, is a good thing. So bless his heart on that. And uh, and and if you know, and I'm sure that he's been wonderful on on gay rights. That's why I'm sure some of those uh, donors are supporting him. And that's a good thing. And that's a progressive thing. So investigate all the candidates on your own. Read Sarah Kleiner's pieces on them. Uh, go to Center for Public Integrity and find out what they're about. Okay. Uh, but uh, you can tell where I'm coming from. Not entirely enthralled yet, but it is what it is. And and Sarah, at least, is here to give you information. So thank you, Sarah. We appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me on. No problem. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Chicago mayoral race, super interesting. Uh, getting close to the end here. We have two finalists. Who are they? Who's the most progressive one? Uh, I want to find out. Let's find out together when we come back. 
right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, joining me now is Kit uh, Cabello and Daniel Lubker. They are with Hard Lens Media, hardlensmedia.com. They're covering Chicago uh, and uh, the mayor race in Chicago. Welcome, guys. How you doing? Really well. Good to be back. Great right. to see you again. Yeah, good to have <laughs> you guys. So uh, let's do two things because a lot of folks in the country don't know about what's happening in the mayor's race in Chicago. First, how many people were in the race before the runoff and what happened in the first round? Good. Well, here's an interesting thing. This is the first time ever, like in the fourth time in Chicago's history, 100 years where the current incumbent, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, or any other incumbent mayor did not enter the race. So we had about approximately at one point 21 incumbents or not 21 candidates, but it got dwindled down to about 14 mayoral candidates. And then finally, uh, at the end result on February 26, we had Laura Lightfoot and then former Cook County uh, Board President Tony Prepwinkle make it to the final two where they will eventually, the city will decide who will be our next mayor on April 2nd. So I'm not as familiar with all of Chicago's politics. So Daniel, let me go to you. Before we got to the final two, who did you guys think was the most, was the pick for the establishment? I'm sure they had a couple, but like the the one they thought was the one they wanted to win most. And who was the most progressive in the race? So I think you actually interviewed uh, the most progressive person in the race, which was Troy Ravier. Uh, we very much liked him. He didn't get the funding he needed, and the he was counting on a CTU endorsement, which went to Prepwinkle. So uh, he withdrew earlier, and I think that the obvious uh, pick for the establishment was actually Daly because. There's never enough dailies in the city. You have old man Daly who ruled the city like a king for decades, and then his son ruled for several more decades, and they were ready for another seat on the throne. We were expecting him to actually meet the runoff. There were so many people in the race, we knew no one was going to get over 50%, which would end the race right there. Instead, in Chicago, you have runoffs if you have under 50%. And he actually finished in third and is not even eligible for the race, and we're left with two very interesting candidates. And of course, at Chicago, it, we like to say it's the most corrupt city in a state. And so all candidates um, are at this point that we're in the race now are, were flawed and that continues to be the case. But we are now looking at a case that I think it'll be able to break down where we have probably uh, the two, either one of them would be the second most progressive mayor in the city's history. But from the country's perspective, that's not saying a whole lot. Yeah, it's very important to know that when we look at the two candidates, uh, Laura Lightfoot, she hasn't uh, been in office or been elected to any kind of Chicago office, but she sat on a lot of administrative boards, bureaucratic boards. She's also a lawyer. Uh, most notably, some of the boards that she has sat on had to deal with the Chicago Police Department. And I know it's controversial, but she has been incremental in uh, at least trying to bring some form of justice and reforms to a lot of the bureaucracies that are impact or that are in Chicago politics. Now, as for Tony Prepwinkle, it's much more of an interesting story. See, she was the Cook County Board President and was elected in 2009. And during her administration, she has had a lot of ties with some of the key players in Chicago politics, most notably Ed Burke, who is also a political ally of Madigan. And if you haven't been keeping in touch with current Chicago news, Ed Burke is being investigated by the FBI due to the fact that he wanted to extort a local Burger King um, for various reasons. But what's interesting about that Burger King is that the same Burger King that also caught the Laquan McDowell shooting early on in 2015. So there's that issue that Tony Prepwinkle has to deal with. But most, the most damaging thing to Tony Prepwinkle is that 
during her time, Chicago has, has had a lot of regressive tax policies. Uh, let's talk about the soda tax, a very regressive tax that was being implemented on the city of Chicago. And during her administration uh, for the Cook County Board Assessor was Joe Barrios, who is the example of neoliberalism and nepotism. Uh, most of the people within his administration were his direct family members and relatives. And the problem with the Office of Cook County Assessor is that it deals with all the taxes and property assessments all across Cook County. And Cook County is now the most heavily taxed county in the state of Illinois. And if you look at within the downtown area of the city of Chicago, all the law firms and major businesses got nice tax incentives and tax breaks, whereas the rest of the burden was then put on the working class communities, most notably on the south and west side areas of Chicago. And then finally, under Joe Barrios' administration as Cook County Board Assessor, there was a clear lack of transparency. So. One of the questions that I want to ask, at least Tony Preckwinkle, is what did she know about Joe Barrios and how did this kind of lack of transparency continue as, as she was the Cook County Board President? And then just to add on to that, we did a live stream about this some time ago where an ally to Tony Preckwinkle, Representative Margaret, was going to propose a bill that would actually call for the Office of Cook County Assessor to be appointed rather than voted in. And then Laura Lightfoot actually challenged that idea of why should this office be appointed. And finally, the new Cook County Assessor, Fritz Kage, who's from our revolution in Illinois, now has the monumental task of actually trying to find out what exactly Joe Barrios did during his time as Cook County Board Assessor. So it's very important for this that Fritz was brought in. We've talked to him a bunch of times. He seems very, and he has the power to do so to really reassess all of the city with a form that they have. And it's very concerning to us because, from our point of view, he is a very legitimate progressive person in that office. And to hear an ally of Pretwinkle, who of course had very close ties to Barrios and a lot of the other city, threaten his position was a big deal to us. And that was very recent. Hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna ask a slightly absurd question to you guys in a second, so that'll be fun. But I just wanna make note of how absurd Chicago is. Like, who goes after one Burger King? <laughs> what well, a weirdly well, corrupt thing to do. I, this is, this is, this, okay, so let me go back to what Kid said with the Laquan McDonald tape. I think that tape is a perfect summation of what is wrong with the city. You see in that video that you've covered that it's the abuse of power within Chicago, but it also represents with that Burger King that's directly in the background, the abuse of power of the aldermen and how they act. Generally speaking, the aldermen have two main roles. One of them is to be a rubber stamp for the mayor and whatever he says. And the second is that they're in charge of zoning. So that's why a lot of um, realtors uh, give a lot of money to their campaigns and then they just get whatever they want. In Burke's case, he's used to pushing around small mom and pop restaurants and he didn't quite think that he's a large fish in a lake and Burger King is a very large fish in the ocean. And so from their point of view, they have the money to fight this. And it turns out that Danny Solis, another uh, alderman, was in connection with this uh, wearing a wire for the FBI. So what we see nationally is of course happening locally in the city. We're not, uh, not, we're not unused to this. This is again, Chicago, the most corrupt city in the state. And it's also very important to note too that Ed Burke himself uh, actually did donate before the FBI uh, launched its investigation or made uh, the people aware that they were investigating him, actually did donate a seizable amount of funds towards a Tony Prepwinkle campaign. Now to the Prepwinkle campaign's credit, they did return those funds back, but 
it leads a lot of questions that many people in Chicago want to know is, well, uh, if you're going to take that kind of money from Ed Burke, well, what else did Ed Burke do for you? Because to because we all seen the impact of money in politics. And if you're going to give somebody money, well, then what are they going to ask you to do? And in a big sense, in a very real sense, uh, to be mayor of Chicago is to be king of Chicago. It more than any other city in any other state, even including New York, probably including the mayor of DC, president, mayor of LA. Chicago mayor is the person who has the most control, direct control, over any amount of domestic issues in the country because it's really what the mayor says goes. And that's yeah. how Chicago is. Well, um, that might change though if a progressive wins. And then yes. all of a sudden, aldermen are not going to listen as much, etc. So let's go to the heart of this issue. Um, look, the good news is William Daly lost. So yes, we're tired of the same old Daly's winning, tired of the establishment pick winning. He worked in the Obama administration. He was a very corporate Democrat, worked in Wall Street. Blah, super right. happy to be rid of him. And Chicago, either way, is gonna have the first African-American woman mayor. Wonderful, okay? So, but it sounds like in terms of who's more progressive, and you guys know this better, way better than I do. You guys seem to be saying Lori Lightfoot is a little bit more progressive than Tony Preckwinkle. Is that, am I hearing that right? In, in <laughs> it's a difficult in, in question theory. to answer, but in theory, yes. And I, and I would say that I think it's a huge deal and it's a great win that in the city of Chicago, the most corrupt city in the state, we have two mayoral candidates trying to get to a runoff and they're out competing each other to say who is the most progressive of the two. I think that alone is a great victory in the city. Yeah, and another thing too to take away from this is that while this was the second lowest turnout in the, in Chicago's electoral history, there was enough people to actually break away from the polling data that was showing Prep Winkle and Daly as being in the runoff. And the very fact that Laura Lightfoot was a surprise winner uh, really says a lot because it should be noted that Laura Lightfoot was one of the early entries into the Chicago mayoral race. And it was only after Mayor Rahm Emanuel made his announcement that he wasn't going to run was when Daly, uh, Gary Chico, Susan Mendoza, and Tony Preckwinkle announced that they would run for Chicago mayor. Okay, I'm gonna skip the absurd question. I was gonna ask you to rate him from one to 10, but you guys are clear enough. Lightfoot's more progressive. The fact that she's a surprise winner is also a good thing that means the establishment was not backing her and then the people did. So those are all good things, I hear you. Daniel, I, I know we're pretty much out of time, but I know you wanted to say one quick thing about uh, TYT, that's what I was told. Oh yeah, I wanted to thank you for having us on a second time. We actually, last time we were on, we, we had a shout out to people to see if anyone wanted that was in the city that wanted to help us out. We actually had a lot of people reach out to us after that, including one person, Yasmin, who has become our marketing director, and she's been doing a, fast, a fantastic job. And I really wanted to thank you and the network for really making that connection possible. And I do want to Make the same call again to the TYT Army. If there's anyone out there in the city of Chicago that's tired of the same old, same old, and wants to report change, be there for change, really see this mayoral race, but also how this is all going to play out in the primaries coming forward. We just covered Bernie Sanders at Navy Pier a couple days ago. Reach out to us on either our Facebook, hardlensmedia.com on Facebook, or at hardlensmedia.com. We have a link for you. That's awesome. I love it. People power. Uh, and uh, no matter who wins the race, I'm positive that Kit and Daniel 
uh, will hold them accountable and make sure that they're on the right path. Uh, so I love that you guys started this in Chicago. Thank you for joining us again. And one more time, everybody, hardlensmedia.com. Check it out. Thank you guys. See you guys. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, we are out of time for this half hour. Next half hour of the Young Turks is just for members. TYT.com slash join to become a member or try it out free for a week at TYT.com slash trial. We are going to get into an attack by Hillary Clinton supporters saying that Sean King is not an ally to black people. And that the black is white and white is black and the sky is green and the grass is blue. We'll discuss that in the post game for members. We'll see you there.